The priesthood is pretty much the key tonight. Why the priesthood? People would think that, you know, it kind of, you know, whenever they think of priesthood, they think of either the, uh, the Catholic version where only certain, where certain men are consecrated themselves, take certain vows uh, or of a certain order and things like that. Or they think of the Levitical priesthood, uh, ordinances, laws, and things of that nature. But uh, pretty much where it all comes down, where it all comes down to it, is the fact that we have all been made kings and priests under her, under our God, with Jesus as the high priest of our confession. Uh, okay. uh, paragraph A. Since the beginning, God has desired one thing from mankind. It is that the people unto himself, a people to call his own. And the only problem he had in this was his inability to communicate heavenly reality to human understanding. Ever since the fall of man, we lost communion with God. And we lost communion with God, we lost our ability to truly understand who he is and where it is. We lost our ability to walk in the garden with him. So much was lost in that. And what in the in the purpose that God created Adam for was lost in the garden. And so to fix that, God had a redemptive plan for the earth. He needed some way to communicate himself and to show himself to a earth that needed to be redeemed. And so to start so his his um, so his plan started with one guy, Abraham, or Abram at the time. Abraham, father of many nations, father of all nations, particularly Israel. So, beginning with Abraham, God begins a period of selection through Abraham. All of a sudden, he chose Isaac over Ishmael. He chose Jacob over Esau. You know, and then, you know, kind of goes along the line, he chooses Judah. And then, you know, goes on the line and he chooses Jesus. It all begins with God's election of Israel. And pretty much straight up put up. But it all but starting with Israel though, his selection of Israel was his solution, his temporary solution to that problem. It was it was the beginning of his of his redemptive period. And the next problem was communicating that reality to Israel. Because <laughs> you know, just because he chose Israel doesn't mean he just all of a sudden just had the they all of a sudden just had the ability to understand it. No, he had to communicate his reality to them. Because Israel's history is filled with stories of them being stubborn, obstinate, hard-headed, even though they were shown his ways, shown his ways in the desert, yet they still complained against him. And so his solution to communicating that reality to Israel is found in the priesthood. And when God called Israel out after 400 years of slavery, visited, he visited Moses and declared his intentions for Israel and ultimately the world. Exodus 19, 5 through 6. I'm going to take you all through the Bible. So if y'all have ever if y'all have ever heard of Bible drills, mm-hmm. it's, it's about to be that tonight. All right. We're about to have that tonight because this, this isn't just Genesis, this isn't just Israel. This is Genesis, the Revelation, and even now and on to eternity and the reality in heaven. Now, therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, then you shall be to me a special treasure to me above all people, for the all the earth is mine. And you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words which you shall speak to the children of Israel. Now it's important that God attached a covenant to this, to this promise. He attached his law, he attached his character to this very covenant. 
Because for Israel to understand his covenant and to understand the priesthood, they had to understand his character. In Micah 7, 6, 8, he talks about loving mercy, doing justly, walking humbly with our God. This is what he commands of us. And so he attached that covenant to them and then gave them the priesthood as his down payment on that, on that, uh, on that covenant. That was, his, that was his way of showing him that he's actually, he's actually in this. And so as he goes on, they go, they, he, he gives them all the ordinances, the Levitical law, the sacrifices, the doves, the, pit, the, doves, the sheep, the goats, the whole nine yards. But um, we're going to skip a bit into this because I want to I point out three notable events, people, and three, three things that are found in the life of a priest. Paragraph B. The Old Testament lists notable men that received the priesthood for honoring and obeying the word of the Lord. Phineas, the son of Eleazar, the Rechabite in Jeremiah 35, and the sons of Zadok in Ezekiel 44. First is uh, turn to uh, Numbers 25, if you will. We'll begin with verse 7. And just give you a backdrop of this. This is after Balaam was told to curse Israel, but he couldn't do it because he couldn't speak against the Lord. The king of Moab needed some kind of advantage against Israel because he knew they were about to come in and take his land. So he was desperate to find some way to weaken Israel. Tried to get a prophet named Balaam to speak against it. You know, we talk about Balaam being the guy whom the donkey spoke through. So this was this is while it was going on. The donkey was trying to get him to go to Moab to speak a curse on Israel. He wound up going anyway. And eventually he couldn't say a prophecy against Israel, but for the love of money he sold Israel out by pretty much telling the king of Moab how to ruin them. And that was to sick their women on them. And so they were bringing all these women into the camp. And sacrificing the idols and, you know, basically uh, fornicating with them. But uh, starting with verse 7, Now when Phinehas, the son of Eleazar, the son of Aaron the priest, saw it, he rose from among the congregation, took a javelin in his hand, and he went after the man into the tent and thrust both of them through, the man of Israel and the woman through her body, as they lay on top of one another, to be honest. And so the plague was stopped among the children of Israel, Verse 10, Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Phinehas, son of Eleazar, son of Aaron the priest, has turned back my wrath from the children of Israel in my zeal. Therefore I say, Behold, I give, I give to him my covenant of peace, and it shall be to him and his descendants after him a covenant of an everlasting priesthood. Note that. Because he was zealous for his God and made atonement. For the children of Israel, word of note, there is no one more oppressed in the church than the zealous. Note this, because anytime someone is too zealous, they are told to sit down, they are told to be quiet, they are told they are out of bounds, they are told so many things that are so wrong, all because they are judged more by their actions than they are judged by their heart. And I want to exhort this church, I want to exhort this body as leaders and as fellow ministers in this church, do not put a wet blanket over a hot fire. 
because the Lord honors zeal. Priests are to serve with zeal. They are, they are to love what he loves and hate what he hates in the same manner in which he does. So I'm telling you, do not, do not, I beg of you, because if you, if you oppress the zealous, if you sit here and you try and tell, tell someone who may, who may be, who, they may be right, they may do all this other stuff, they're going to get on your nerves, because I promise you, when times get tough, they're going to be the ones to stick with you, no matter how annoying they may be. I'm telling you, they're not good, they're, they, won't, they don't serve for ulterior motives. They serve because they love the Lord. And they love those who love the Lord. David made a mention that he abhors the company of the wicked. And that he was glad when they said to him, let us go into the house of the Lord. If you want to look at a picture of zeal, look at David. He made his mistakes. We all know he made his mistakes. But his testimony in heaven to this day is that he was a man after God's own heart. That is what is being said about him in heaven. And that is what is being proclaimed about him on the earth today. And it was so much that the Lord gave David the promise that the promised Messiah would be of his seed, born in his hometown. Note the zeal that the priests of the Lord are required to serve with. Turn to Jeremiah 35. Note the second example. This is pretty much the entire chapter of Jeremiah 35. Why? Because I love this chapter. (laughs) And just because of the fact that I tried to shorten it down, but I absolutely could not. Because he makes this whole thing, because this whole chapter is crucial, crucial. He gives such a powerful message in this one chapter over one simple act. And it it just so moved the Lord's heart. Let's start with verse 1. It's also on your handout as well. I I just wanted to put the whole Bible on it, but unfortunately it had to fit in your binders. (laughs) The word of the Lord, which came to Jeremiah in the days of Jehoiakim, the son of Josiah, king of Judah, saying, Go to the house of the Rechabites. Speak to them. Bring them into the house of the Lord, into one of the chambers, and give them wine to drink. So then I took Jeremiah, the son of Jeremiah, the son of Habit, oh, good Lord, and his brothers and all his sons and the whole house of the Rechabites. I brought to them, I brought them into the house of the Lord, into the chamber of the sons of Hanan, the son of Iglet. Oh, good God, you know it, you know it. Judge my heart. Man of God, who was by the chamber of the princes and above the chamber of Matthias, the son of Shalom, the keeper of the door. Then I set before the sons of the house of the Rechabites bowls full of wine and cups. And I said to them, drink wine. But they said, note that I underline this, this is important. We will drink no wine. For Jonadab, the son of Rechab, our father, commanded us, saying, You shall drink no wine, nor your sons forever. You shall not build a house, so seed, plant a vineyard, nor have any of these, but all your days you shall dwell in tents, that you may live very many days in the land where, you're, where you are sojourners. Thus we have obeyed the voice of Jonadab, the son of Rechab, our father, in all that he charged us, to drink the wine all our days, to not drink wine all our days, our wives, our sons, and our daughters, nor to build ourselves houses to dwell in, nor do we have vineyard, field, or seed, but we have dwelt in tents and have obeyed and have done according to all that Jonadab and our father commanded us. Now let me note something here. 
This wasn't exactly the word of the Lord to all of Israel. This was just the word of the Lord to given to one man for his family and his house. Sometimes the Lord will give you words for your family that you were to do like, you know, that you're to, you know, that you're to live accordingly a certain way. They did not judge the entire house of Israel by not living their life, as so many people do nowadays. But, but instead, they stayed faithful into what the Lord called for them. Y'all guys have handouts? Y'all have any more? Oh, good Lord. Okay, if you don't have a handout, um, I will try and uh, make sure you get one before I leave, before I leave, because this is going to be a, because Pastor wants this to be a part of uh, everyone's uh, ministry class book. So, but uh, we're on the second page on uh, verse 11 of the, pretty much the big black italicized page. This is, I, I could not, like I said, I could not avoid, I could not avoid shortening this particular passage. It was just too amazing. Verse 11, but it came to pass when Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came up into the land that we said, come, let us go to Jerusalem for fear of the army of the Chaldeans, for fear of the army of the Syrians. So we dwell at Jerusalem. Then came the word of the Lord to Jeremiah, saying, Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, Go and tell the men of Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem, Will you not receive instruction to obey my word, says the Lord? The words of Jonadab, the son of Rechab, which he commanded his sons not to drink wine, are performed. For to this day they drink none and obey their father's commandment. But although I have spoken to you rising early and speaking, you did not obey me. I have also sent to you my servants, the prophets, rising up early and sending them, saying, Turn now everyone from his evil way, amend your doings, and do not go after the gods to ser- other gods to serve them. Then you will dwell in the land which I have given you and your fathers, but you have not inclined your ear, nor obeyed me. Surely the sons of Jonadab, the son of Rechab, have performed the command of their father, which he commanded them, but this people has not obeyed me. Therefore... Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, Behold, I will bring on Judah and all the inhabitants of Jerusalem all the doom that I have pronounced against them. Because I have spoken to them, but they have not heard. I have called to them, but they have not answered. And Jeremiah said to the house of the Rechabites, Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, Because you have obeyed the commandment of Jonadab your father, and have kept all his precepts and done according to all that he commanded you, therefore thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, Jonadab the son of Rechab shall not like a man to stand before me forever. And my God, if that were me, I would claim that promise to my dying day. What if... What if that were you? And the Lord gave you that word for your family. Just, just because, I mean, it may have not have been like, um, you know, just like the big word, because God didn't condemn Jeremiah for building in a house and sowing seed and owning land. Because later on in that chapter, he bought a field because the right of inheritance, right of redemption was his to buy it. He bought a field. But there was no word for him not to buy a field. There was no word for him not to sow a seed or to own land or to do something like that. That word was given specifically to Jonadab and the Rechabites, that they were to live like that. I'm telling you, there's a lot to be had when it comes to obeying the authority on earth that God has put over you. Yes, they had issues, but he has set them over you. 
They obeyed the voice of a man who was appointed to them in authority over them. The Lord rewarded Jonadab and the Rechabites for their faithfulness to the command of their authority with the blessing of serving in his presence. And the kicker is the Lord honors those who honor their authority. Amen and hallelujah. Turn to Ezekiel 44. It's our third and final Old Testament example of obedience to God with the priesthood. This is Ezekiel prophesying the rebuilding of the temple. And this is pretty much how he, how order was going to be set in the temple concerning the house of Israel and pretty much the world because this is because the temple had not been rebuilt. The temple had not been rebuilt at this time. And this wasn't, this wasn't concerning the temple that was to be built in 70 A.D. That was to be destroyed in 70 A.D. That Caesar, that Caesar helped build. Starting with verse 10. And the Levites who went far from me, when Israel went astray, who strayed away from me after their idols, shall bear their iniquity. Yet they shall be ministers in my sanctuary as gatekeepers of the house and the ministers of the house. They shall slay the burnt offering and the sacrifice for the people and shall stand before them to minister them because they ministered to them before their idols and caused the house of Israel to fall into iniquity. Therefore, I have raised my hand in an oath against them, says the Lord God, that they shall bear their iniquity and they shall not come near me to minister to me as a priest, nor come near any of my holy things, nor into the most holy place, but they shall bear their shame and their abominations for which they have committed. Nevertheless, I will make them keep charge of the temple for all its work and all that has to be done in it. Verse 15. But the priests, the Levites, the sons of Zadok, who kept charge of my sanctuary when the children of Israel went astray from me, they shall come near to me to, to minister to me. And they shall stand before me to offer to me the fat and the blood, says the Lord God. They shall enter my sanctuary, and they shall come near my table to minister to me, and they shall keep my charge. Now think about this. Think about this. How many ministers do we see today, how many leaders do we see today compromise a message in order to have a large following? How many ministers today do we see preach a seeker-friendly message in order to keep their coffers filled? I'm telling you, there is a price to be paid for compromising the message of God. And that price has nothing to do with their ministry on the earth. They can minister to the people. God's not really concerned about those who minister to people. Because your gifts and callings, Romans 11, 29, are irrevocable. Your, your, your personality, your giftings, your ability to speak. Many shall come to me and say, Lord, Lord, we have cast out demons in your name. We have preached. We, have won, we, have, we, have, we had a large church and we preached your name every Sunday. Oh, Lord, Lord. They were enthusiastic about it. But the Lord says, depart from me, I never knew you. Because you practiced lawlessness. You had compromise in your life. You compromised my message. You had compromise in your life where you tolerated sin. You led other people away from me by preaching blessing instead of the importance of my name. You led people away by preaching prosperity instead of their need to lay down their life, take up their cross, and follow me. Where was I in your gospel? Where was I in your gospel? And I'm telling you, this is where the motives of ministers are made known. 
The Levites did not desire the truth of God's word. They desired a platform. They desired a ministry with, with, with a lot of people and to have that they compromised their beliefs and what they were taught and led Israel to sacrifice the false gods and idol worship. Common sense will tell anyone that these men should not be allowed to serve in ministry at all. Common sense would say that. They let Israel down. They preach a false message. Why are they even pastors? We say this all the time. Why is this man even in ministry? He compromises the word of God. God will judge him. No, he's not. Not on this earth. Not in this life. He's going to be allowed to have his ministry. The Lord allowed them to serve in the capacity they so desired. He allowed them to the people to be gatekeepers and take care of the menial. He just basically made them janitors. Basically. You know, you take care of the people in the outer court who don't desire my presence. You, you take care of them. And the Lord punished them by banishing them from coming near to him. Now, how often do we see how often, I want us to check our own hearts. Check our own hearts here. What do we really desire when it comes to, ser- to serving the Lord? Are we seekers of the secret place? Or are we seekers of the, the pulpit, or the platform? And this is something that I've had, to, I've had to wrestle with in my heart because there is nothing I fear more than being one of those guys that said, I've cast out demons in your name. I have led people to Christ. I talked about you all the time. Lord, I loved you. And him saying, depart from me. I never knew you. There's nothing that scares me more than that. Because I promise you, if I do not love the Lord, if, 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 if it is not said of me that I am not the one whom Jesus loves, then I, 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 don't, I don't want the platform. I don't want it. That's right. I don't want it. I, I mean, take me off of here, silence me. I will I will go. Hedge me from all the sides, because I promise you the Lord did that to me for two years. For two years. It's called the US Army where I was nothing. For two years, I was an intercessory missionary in the house of prayer. When I, it wasn't it wasn't much, but when I spoke, people listened. I was really going after the Lord, but again, but then the motives of my heart remained known. My laziness was shown. My desire for a platform was made known. And the Lord took that from me. And he hedged me with thorns on every side. If you want the thorns on every side, you stand at Sand, you stand at Sand Hill at Fort Benning with an infantry drill sergeant in each ear. You want thorns on every side, you've got that. That's what that is. I promise you, the Lord, the Lord had his way with me. And thank God. I eventually, the Lord got my attention, found me out, called me back. He did not banish me from his presence forever. Amen. Thank you, Lord. But if your desires, you know, before I go on, you know, common sense in the church says if it seems to work, do it. If it seems to work, you do it. If he plays an instrument, you know, he should be a worship leader. You know, put him, put him in front of the church, make him a worship leader, even though he knows nothing about the Word of God. Even though he knows nothing of Jesus. Even though all he does is just play a piano. Or play a guitar. Or anything like that. Or just because he can sing. Or because he can speak well, he should be a preacher. Or just because he's very sociable, like, why aren't you a preacher? I got that a lot. I got, I got, I got that a lot. Because just because I was outgoing, I was, everyone was like asking me, he's like, you know, you should be a preacher, Tim. You know, that's what you should be. And I was like... Well, at the time, I was wanting to be a, I was wanting to be a, I was wanting to go into politics. I was wanting to uh, eventually run for Congress and uh, do something in that capacity. Well, right now, the Lord is definitely working me in that. 
and and basically bringing the words of that to pass, but not because they said it, not because it was a good idea, because common sense for me back in those days would mean for me to go to seminary, do the studying, get my doctorate degree, find some big church, and just eke out the rest of my existence preaching lame sermons every Sunday. I did not want that at all. No. But if your desire as a minister is to stand behind a pulpit and preach to people or worship lead and do ministry, the Lord will let you have those things. Your gifts and callings can make you a very anointed minister in the eyes of the world. Romans eleven twenty nine, like I said before, for the gifts and callings of God are irrevocable. He doesn't take back your giftings just because you're unfaithful with them. It's like the man with the ten talents. The one who buried his talent was judged when the master came. The one who used his talents for the good of the kingdom and saw increase was rewarded. Telling you, he who has will be given more, and he who does not have what even what he has will be taken away from him. But that is in the age to come. Hallelujah. The true ministers of the gospel are the ones who desire his presence and minister to the Lord. They are the ones who live to burn before him and commit themselves to being led by the Spirit. I exhort ministers and leaders in this church to be men and women who are jealous for his presence because the priesthood is a 24-7 occupation that requires no more than everything you are and want to be in this life. Turn page. Paragraph C. Jesus and the divine desire. Like I said before Jesus, the priesthood was limited to the natural sons of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. John the Baptist warned the Pharisees against this, saying, don't, don't, don't boast and say just because you're sons of Abraham you'll escape this because God can raise up eight children of Abraham from these stones. It was nothing to him. Just being a son of Abraham doesn't matter. It never mattered. Just because you were born into a certain family or born of a certain bloodline does not save you. Jesus, the fulfillment of the law and every ordinance placed by the Father was the one who inspired the priesthood and the one whom the scriptures speak of. And this is a very important verse. This is a very important verse. You search the scriptures, for in them you think you have eternal life. And these are they which testify of me, but you are not willing to come to me that you may have life. You can know the Bible, but not know Jesus. You can preach a sermon, but not know Jesus. I'm telling you, there are ministries out there that call themselves so-called discernment ministries. They they, they pretty much just slam every single so-called ministry out there because they don't do this or they don't do that or something they did, do all this other stuff. I'm telling you, you, you research Mike Bickle. First thing you'll see is the International House of Prayer, and just about every link after that is every ministry in the world bashing him for something that he did, for what his role in the Toronto revival, or his link to you know certain ministers who are blah 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 yada yada yada. I'm telling you, there's a high price to put to pay for following the Lord. Those who desire to live a godly life in Christ will be persecuted. Oh yeah. And I'm telling you, I'm telling you. You're not going to find God in just the Bible. The Bible is just a manual. It just points the way. It points the way to his presence. It's your safety net for whenever you hear the voice of the Lord, if it's really the word of God or if it's just a demon speaking to you. 
that's what the Bible is for. You don't find eternal life in just reading the Bible. It's not, it's not your textbook to study. It's your key to the presence of God. And Jesus makes it very clear that the law written in the book is only a part of the equation. The reason they were in place to begin with was to bring Israel into his presence. I'm telling each and every one of you, dude, if the purpose of studying Scripture is not to experience God in his presence and draw near to him, you're wasting your time. If your purpose of studying Scripture is not for the purpose of getting to know Jesus and his character, not to speak at a sermon, not to speak a sermon on Sunday, not to just get some kind of new revelation, but to know him and to be known by him, you are wasting your time. Because you're not going to get a new revelation every time you, 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 you go into his presence. I was pretty much telling, telling my friend Ron the other day, because he was getting so down and so and so and so. And so and I was like, you ever thought about just how good the Lord has been to you? You ever thought about the promises he's given to you for your life, for your ministry, for what you're going to do? You ever thought about that? It's like when we're a child. I was telling Jay about this the other day. When we're a child. We think $20 is a fortune. But as we get older, $20 doesn't seem like much. Does the money lose its value or do we lose our appreciation for it? Well, in these days, yeah. <laughs> but, but you get where I'm but you get where I'm going. Even as a child, like even now, 100 bucks. Does that 100 bucks lose its value over time or do we lose our appreciation for it? Seemingly basic things. The Lord still gives $20 revelations today and we think they're awesome. So I really want you guys to understand that the Lord still wants to be known. And it's not the fact that we've grown hard to his presence. As you get older, it seems, it seems like you kind of get a little stale. You kind of get a little going. Well, that's just God trying to call you deeper into his presence to get more than just $20 out of him. Sometimes, sometimes you got to do as we say in the army, hold what you got. And appreciate what the Lord has given you. And thank him for that. And just meditate on that because I'm telling you, there's, there's something more in that that he wants, and he's obviously wanting to show you. So I really want to, I really want to encourage you. You're going to get stale. It's going to get hard. This is not an easy life. It only costs your life, but it's free. But don't give up just because he's not giving you something new or something awesome. It's just like wine. It's got to age. In the Garden of Gethsemane, before he was about to go to the cross for each and every one of us, Jesus laid out his list of demands to the Father as conditions for going to the cross. Jesus, the sinless man, fully God, fully man, is the only man in history of the world who had a right to demand something of the Father for doing something. He did not have any sin to confess. He had no reason other, he had no, you know, logical reason to be obligated to go and suffer and die. Can we, can we realize that? Jesus did not have to do anything. He did not have to go to the cross. So if he was going to go, you would think he's going to want something out of it. I'm telling you, if he, if he, if he was going to go and die the worst possible, 
impossible death known to mankind, I cannot imagine dying by crucifixion in the manner that Jesus did. It scares the bejesus out of me. It makes me uncomfortable. I get squeamish watching the passion of the Christ. And that was G-rated compared to what Jesus really went through. And here's the beautiful part. John 17, my favorite chapter in the Bible, is the only chapter in the Bible where God is talking to God through God. Think about it. Jesus, the God-man, he is the Son of God in flesh, the Christ, the Son of the living God, talking to God the Father through the Holy Spirit. God the Holy Spirit. See, you will never see this in the rest of the Bible. So I'm telling you, if this is happening and he is making these demands, <laughs> you know they're going to happen. Yeah. And I promise you, he's praying this prayer even right now at the right hand of the Father. John 17, 24, I have this verse sitting on a frame because someone asked me what my favorite verse in the Bible was. So they can make a painting for me, so I can have it. So I can have. So I can have it there. John seventeen twenty four. Why do I like this verse so much? It's underlined because this is the very verse that changed the course of mankind forever, based on three words: Jesus saying, "Father, I desire." This is reestablished. This is God talking to God through God. And he is saying, Father, I desire. This is what I want. If I am going to die, if I am going to die in this manner, if you are going to glorify your son in this hour, this is what I want. <laughs> this is what I want. That they also whom you gave me... <laughs> may be with me where I am, that they may behold my glory, which you have given me. For you have loved me before the foundation of the world. Beloved, that is good news. You really want to know just what he went through? He didn't have to go through it. But he said, Father, I desire you and you and you. He might as well have said your name. He might as well have said your name. Because everything else in that prayer, he was praying for people. He wasn't specifically saying what. He was, he was pretty much trying to include everyone that you could think of. He was thanking God for the preservation of the ones that were given to him except the son of perdition. Not only praying for those and the ones before, but the ones that came after. He didn't say what until then. He basically said these two verses are the only two things that he prayed specifying what he wanted. O righteous Father, the world has not known you, but I have known you. And these have known that you sent me. And I have declared to them your name and will declare it that the love with which you love me may be in them and I in them. Think about that. Think about that. This is Jesus 
declaring the name of the Father, not only asking, but declaring that the love of the Father, the love of which the Father loves Jesus, would be in us. He's not asking. He's demanding. He is not, he is not bargaining with God. He's desiring. He is not making a deal. He's not manipulating God. He is demanding. Because if any man in the history of the world had any call to demand something of God, it was that man. It was that man. We have not, we, we deserve nothing. We deserve hell. This man desired us. The only reason we the only reason we have access to the Father is because He desired it so. The only reason we have access to the throne room of God instead of one man entering, a, entering the most holy place with a rope around his ankle just so he doesn't get, so in the case he dies, it's so he can get him out. Because that's how they had to do it. Once, every, once a year, a priest had to go into the Holy of Holies, and if there was something not right in his life, done. Only way they could get them out was the tie. If someone tried to go in there after them, they would go too. Because why? God doesn't tolerate sin. God does not tolerate disobedience. He's in his nature. It's not the fact that he, that he, just, he just one day said he didn't do it. No, this is who he is. And sin keeps us from his presence. Why? Because he would consume us in his anger over one sin. Not just, not just the, our issues, just one. All he needs is one. And we're, we're, we're condemned to death. We deserve hell. No matter how good a life we live, no matter, no matter how, what the world may think of us or anything, one sin, one, one issue, one, one area of compromise, we're done. And Jesus, in that moment, changed the course of human history and desired of the Father that you and I be allowed to come into the presence of the Father to minister to the Father the same way that Jesus did. The same way. We're not, we're not, we're not like second-class citizens or first-class citizens. Everything that Jesus did as the example, we call Jesus the example, right? So everything that Jesus did, we can do. That prayer in John 17, that's why he sent the help of the Holy Spirit. So that we can talk to God through God the way he did. And to walk as he walked. What is his ministry even now? Intercession. He ever lives to make intercession for us. That is his ministry. His ministry was prayer. That one desire changed the course of mankind forever. And allowed us, all of us, to come before the Father based on the obedience of one man. Instead of the Old Testament precedent established before. Because in the Old Testament, it was based on obedience of a few people, one man that allowed him and his descendants, him and his descendants, to maintain that priesthood. Romans 5.19 For as by one man's disobedience, many were made sinners, also as by one man's obedience, many will be made righteous. It's the very same thing. We were, you know, it goes back to the Garden of Eden. You know, Adam's on the earth, Satan came along, work was set, fruit was eaten, everyone got screwed. Everyone got screwed. We were, I mean, it's, it's, it's it. 
I saw that a friend of mine said that. I chuckled at it, but it's the truth. Now, because the law comes Jesus, basically just turns the world on its head, changes the course of human history to basically bring about the purpose that God desires from day one. The picture given to John in Revelation, I kind of jumped ahead of myself there. The picture in heaven is given in Revelation 5. Keep in mind, the priesthood itself is defined all throughout the New Testament. 1 Peter 2.9 calls it the very same thing that God desired in Revelation 19.6. A royal priesthood, a kingdom of priests. Write that down. I intentionally left that out. 1 Peter 2.9. Peter calls us that. And this is the same Peter that, you know... Walked on water with Jesus even though he sang. The same Jesus that preached the sermon on the day of Pentecost saved 3,000 souls. You might want to listen to the guy. <laughs> Isn't he awesome? Oh, praise the Lord. This picture is given in heaven in Revelation 5. To get a full picture of God's intention for mankind from the very beginning. This is before John was to receive the revelation of what Jesus was to do at the end of the age that coincided with what Daniel saw and what Daniel saw and what the prophets saw. This was it, the book of Revelation. And what's really interesting is that when I was a kid, you know, the book of Revelation was read on a dare. Well, you know, Revelation was one of the books that scared everybody. Seriously, it scared everybody because it was because it was the it was the the flies, the locusts, the water turning into blood. It's like a ten plagues of Egypt and then some. I mean, this is a pretty dang scary book. And the end times were hardly ever discussed because we just believed the Lord was just going to snatch us up and just take us before it all went down anyway. I read the Left, entire Left Behind series and was bummed. I'm gonna tell you right now, I was bummed because. At the time, I didn't understand. I was thinking, you're going to let all this happen, and I'm not going to be there to watch it. I mean, I, you know, I see far worse now. <laughs> but either way, back to, back, to the, back to the point. Revelation 5, verse 8. Now, when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the Lamb, each having a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song saying, You were worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals, for you were slain and have redeemed us to God by your blood out of every tribe, tongue, people, and nation, not just Israel. Praise the Lord. Amen. And have made us kings and priests to our God, and we shall reign on the earth. There is so much to be had in this one verse that pretty much ties everything in. The 24 elders... I'll give you three guesses as to who that is. Human beings, flesh and blood, you pinch them, cut them, they bleed. That's us. Y'all guys know what that means? We made it! We made it! We are there at the throne room of God, falling down before Him. We made it! What can you say to that? We are there! John saw, he saw human beings. 
God, redeemed to God by his blood, made what? Kings and priests. Kings and priests. And what was their ministry? Each having a heart, which is obviously music, worship, and golden bowls full of incense, which is what? Prayer. The prayer of the saints. Every word uttered by you and me on this earth fills those bowls. One day it's going to be poured out on the earth. You will sing it. Everything that you pray, even even the, even the Matthew, even that uh, Matthew five, when there is no actually Matthew six, when you pray, Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. Forgive us our trespasses. We forgive those who trespass against you. And lead us not to temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory, forever and ever. Amen. Your kingdom come. Your will be done. Do you realize what you say when you pray that? Do you realize just how huge that is? I don't think I have a grid for it. I don't think I understand it. Because that is, that basically you're just basically asking for everything that happens in the book of Revelation, all the things that happened in the book of Daniel prophesied by Zechariah, you're basically asking them to happen in two sentences. Two sentences, right there. You're basically you're asking for that to happen. So when it does come, will you know what's coming? Do you know what you're praying? I don't think we do. I don't think we do. Because if there's one thing that God desires right now, it's a people that not only know him, but know what he's doing and know what he's going to do on the earth. So that way when he does come, we our hearts will not be offended. Because he says many will be offended. The one thing he said when John the Baptist's disciples came to him and asked him, are you the Messiah? He said, the last thing he said was, blessed is he who is not offended with me. How are you not offended with someone? By knowing them. Communication and knowledge of that person is the one thing that's going to save you from being offended with that person. It's no different than knowing God. It's no different. No different. He doesn't desire people to just be prosperous on this earth. He desires the people that know him and love him. And if there's any doubt as to, and if there's any doubt as to, if you have any doubts as to who you are, if you have any doubts as to why you exist, I mean, I just point to John 17, 24, and it's done. The fact of the matter is, you are here. You are allowed. You, you exist because Jesus desires you. This is the reason why you exist. You exist to know him and to love him. The answer lies in the fact of being a priest unto our God, a lover of God. We were made to love and any minister that teaches otherwise is teaching another Jesus and preaching another gospel. We were made for one purpose, to love the Lord. We were created to minister to him. His desire from the beginning and illustrated in, from Genesis to Revelation was that mankind would love him and worship him in spirit and in truth. Ministers are to lead a people into the presence of the Lord. That is our, that is our responsibility. For the Lord gives to us our gifts, pastors, evangelists, pastors, uh, prophets, evangelists, teachers, pastors. You know, the whole Fox ministry, I, I came to do it. I'm stumbling over my words right now. I'm just going nuts right now. Every song, every sermon, every action is to be a reflection of who Jesus is. 
and his character should reflect the same. We were created to love the Lord and to love as he loves. Matthew twenty-two thirty-seven. Jesus said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the first and great commandment. The second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments hang all, hang all the law and the prophets.